0: Here's the thing though. Hello, hello, hello and welcome to another episode of my podcast, Here's the Thing Though. My name is Saliha and I am your host. I'm here with the lovely Mitch Price who is my producer slash editor. Hello, hello. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge the Darug and Kuringai people who are the traditional owners of the land that we are recording on today. We'd like to pay our respects to all First Nations people, past, present and future. We're recording on stolen land and sovereignty was never ceded. Okay, so Mitch, how have you been this week?
1: Been pretty good. How have you been?
0: I've been, I've been good. Busy, tired, but good. Busy,
1: has been a busy week.
0: What have you been up to? I'm going to pretend that I haven't spent last week with you. So what have you, what have you been up to, Mitch?
1: Just been trying to read, watching some movies, uh dealing with the podcast release and learning all that stuff, I guess. Yeah. Fake it till you make it as producer, <laughs> yeah, I guess.
0: We're definitely starting as like absolute novice babies. But we're figuring it out. It's all good. Um, speaking of our new podcast, I've made a podcast group for us. That's what I've spent the last few days doing is like Facebook modding lol. I know we all have some unsavory feelings towards Facebook groups, I am definitely the first person to say how much I freaking hate like Facebook groups. However, I'm hoping this one will be a little different because for one, I'm being, I'm like vetting people who apply very, very intensely. There are a bunch of good questions that you have to answer. If I think the answer is inadequate, I'm literally just like declining memberships. I'm trying to make it as safe of a space as possible for women of color who this group is predominantly for like obviously it's for everybody but it's for me like the priority is having a safe space for women of color because that is something i've pretty much lacked my entire you know facebook life um if you guys want to join the facebook group we'll put a a link to it in my bio on instagram we'll put a link to it in the spotify description as well cool anyway let's talk about what we're gonna get into today Mm -hmm. awesome Today, we're going to talk about diversity, tokenism, and being woke by proximity. We're going to talk about that in relation to a few things that have happened lately in pop culture and media, but mostly we're just really going to get into like token diversity and representation and like how much we actually give a shit about those things. So, I'm going to contextualize this a little bit with the recent GQ interview with John Boyega. Um where he basically talked about his time with Disney on Star Wars and he pretty much criticised Disney for just like treating him like a token black star and how they kind of just gave him a really shitty role, didn't give him the narrative development that he expected and basically catfished all of us by making it seem like he was going to be a far bigger character than he actually was in this series. Um, I really found that interview of his amazing. I think he's one of the few people to come out and really criticize Disney. Because uh, Disney is, you know, ginormous. They own, like, everything. It's pretty terrifying, actually, in this horrible capitalist world, how much Disney owns. Um, I'm just going to read you guys some... I think, of the key quotes from his interview that have made headlines lately. There's been a lot of articles about it. I wrote an article about it, plugging myself. If you go in the link in my bio and look at my 5 way articles, it'll be there. I think it's pretty good, so you guys should read it. But anyway, here are some quotes of his that I think are really interesting. I'm the only cast member who had their own unique experience of that franchise based on their race. Let's just leave it like that. It makes me angry with a process like that. It makes you much more militant it changes you because you realize I got given this opportunity but I'm in an industry that wasn't even ready for me nobody else in the cast had people saying they were going to boycott the movie because they were in it nobody else had the uproar and death threats sent to their Instagram DMs and social media saying black this and black that and you shouldn't be a stormtrooper nobody else had that experience but yet people are surprised that I'm this way that's my frustration I find it really interesting that John Boyega has been able to publicly speak about his frustration at being the token like, person of colour in a movie. I feel like we are so often made to feel like we are lucky to be part of these roles, that we are lucky to even be considered to be a part of these roles, that I actually think it's really revolutionary for him to not be sitting there going and frothing over the fact that he was able to be in the Star Wars film. Like he does acknowledge in the interview that he is lucky to have this opportunity, but that doesn't stop him from criticizing how it was handled, which I just think we need so much more of because I definitely feel that sometimes I can't criticize people that have given me opportunities because, oh, well, they've helped me. So who am I to come in here and criticize them for being racist? Like I often feel gaslit by a lot of the media community and you know tone police and stuff about this thing so I think I really want to get into John Boyega's I guess experience and how we're reacting to it because he he's been getting like a lot of hate for this interview like people have been telling him you know oh my god look at the audacity that this black man has to criticize Disney after they gave him such a huge film and made his career and blah 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 but what I find most interesting about this is the fact that yeah he suffered like he suffered in his role as being the only black man in this very 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 famous you know franchise it's it's star wars (laughs) like it's star wars this isn't a niche thing this is something that everybody has either seen or like knows. somebody who has watched it everybody knows star wars and what i want to kind of get into is how much people aren't focusing on the suffering that john boyega experienced while being the black man in this movie and how much that seems to be, like, irrelevant to the narrative of telling him that he's lucky. Because is he, is he really lucky? Is he really lucky if the cost of him being in Star Wars was endless trolling and hate and boycotts and feeling dehumanized and really having to feel the brunt of racism in this white supremacist world without any protection from Disney? And I think we'll talk a little bit more about Disney's role in this in a second but I wanna discuss the expectation of people of color to suffer in their diversity roles and that to be seen as like a sign of progress that like there are martyrs for diversity and that we're willing to throw people of color under the bus as the first to do something because it's progress, it's representation. Like what is the cost of representation? I guess that's what we're gonna kind of get into today. What is the cost of representation? Let's localise this a little bit. Obviously, I have talked endlessly about The Bachelor. I'm sure you're all pretty sick of it now. I mean, I'm I'm pretty sick of it too. But it's relevant here because of Ariba, who was the contestant that had to deal with some pretty disgusting racism on the show. But also, she was the only kind of very visibly non-white person on the show. She was the only very dark-skinned person and she was on there for a lot longer than the other dark-skinned people who were booted pretty quickly off the show. I loved seeing Ariba on the screen initially. She is Pakistani-Australian. I am Pakistani-Australian. It is the first time I've ever seen somebody like me, or of my, I should say, ethnic heritage, um, on TV, literally ever. I have never seen Pakistani representation on TV. I don't even know that many Pakistani people in real life, to be honest. Um, It meant a lot to me to see her. On TV and to see her as somebody I guess desirable but she wasn't marketed as likable and she certainly wasn't marketed as another contestant she was immediately otherized she was immediately villainized then she had to endure racial abuse on TV which is obviously not fun for me as a Pakistani person to watch and then we kind of all just like glossed over it and forgot about it and if we weren't ignoring her racism we were praising her for being you know the brown woman on this TV series Ariba herself says on her Instagram that she's, like, so grateful for this opportunity, that she's so glad that she's able to represent her people, etc., etc. But I'm just like, is that worth it? Was it worth it for me to see Ariba on TV, but then also to see her abused? Was it worth it for me to have a Pakistani Australian woman on TV, but then also know that she was trolled? I was on her Instagram page and she was getting, like, hate from racist people and the way she was villainized and vilified. I just think, like... Was this good representation? Did this mean anything to me? And it makes me wonder, like, how progressive is it to have a person of colour in a franchise if the actual franchise doesn't really acknowledge, like, the context of their race and how that's going to treat them outside of the set? Because with Ariba, again, nobody really acknowledged the fact that it was a pretty big deal that she was, like, one of the only non-white women on this show. While marketing otherised her and made her, like, exciting thing for us all to watch like she was definitely the one getting the most promo shots because look we have a brown woman guys please watch this show although like it was just pandering to a lot of us like people of color or lefties that kind of don't really watch the show because of how whitewashed it is but like I didn't actually acknowledge the societal place that she had in there it didn't acknowledge the white supremacy in that show it didn't acknowledge the fact that she was constantly looked down ab- looked down upon tone policed villainized it didn't actually deconstruct any of that. <laughs> there wasn't actually a self-awareness to her place in the show. And so I'm starting to wonder if it actually meant anything and if it was worth it. And it's just like, how much are we willing to sacrifice for good representation? Does it mean this much to us? Is it this important? Because while on one hand, I completely understand the importance of representation for kids to just, you know, not hate themselves. Like, growing up, being a dark-skinned person, watching Australian TV, you're always feeling inadequate and unattractive and, like, you don't fit in into society. I can, like, remember very explicitly every single cartoon I watched that had a dark-skinned woman in it because... I latched onto those as a kid. It was like the only time I got to see myself even vaguely represented. And even then they were never like Desi women. They were never Indian or Pakistani or Southeast Asian. They were usually black women, but it was as close as I got to a non-white figure to look up to. And I was on that. But now I'm just like older and I guess wiser and with far more nuanced politics. And I'm like, is this is this politics? Like, is having a brown woman on The Bachelorette actually progressive politics? Like, let's talk about, the upcoming bachelorette and the fact that Ellie Miles and her sister were cast as the two female bachelorettes—they're both white blonde women—and the outrage I felt at that. I wrote an Instagram post about it because I was just so shocked at like the fact that they would still do that after for so long. People had been asking for a non-white bachelorette. It was, like I felt outraged. I felt upset, and like I was I was gunning hard <laughs> for a woman of color to be the bachelorette. Like I was invested. But now I'm thinking about it and I'm just like, do I want a brown bachelorette? Because after seeing the abuse that Ariba endured, after hearing about the way John Boyega has to deal with hate and trolls for his role, like, do I want to throw a woman of colour under the bus for the sake of my own need for representation? Am I willing to sacrifice her and her mental health for the sake of representation for the next generation? Is she even going to change the political sphere by existing in this space? Like, I just don't know if that means anything and it makes me wonder because if these spaces are inherently unsafe for women of color and they are like we've we've seen it pretty clearly that the sets that then go and get people of color on their show as token diversity applicants they don't make the set safe for them they don't make sure that there's no racism around they don't even protect them from outright racism that's happening on screen and in the case of the bachelor they use it for entertainment and laugh at it it's pretty disgusting we're obviously going to be stepped on and treated badly and expected to take it And I don't really wish that upon anyone. And I don't really expect any brown women to do that for me. And I certainly don't want them to. And so it just kind of makes me wonder, like, is this where politics is at? I feel really conflicted because on the one hand, I want representation. I want to normalize seeing people like myself on screen. And I'm sick of white supremacy. I'm sick of this idealized white image that we get on TV all the time. But on the other hand, like... By gunning for a brown bachelorette, by begging for representation from these like ginormous corporations that don't give a shit about us, are we just expending energy into something that doesn't actually change or dismantle the white supremacist society that we live in? Like, if Disney is a huge capitalist organization that owns half the world and will never be conducive to our interests, are we wasting our time putting energy into getting a person of color into its hostile clutches? I do wonder if I'm, like, getting lost in liberal feminism by wanting a brown batchy. Isn't that just dangerous and irresponsible on my part, wanting to throw a woman of, of colour into this, like, vicious Australian media sphere? Who's going to protect her? Why am I okay for her to be used as collateral damage just, like, for, for like, just media, for TV? Like, does it matter? Does it Does not make a difference? Is it worth this sacrifice?
1: Like, yeah, I don't know. Is it even possible for shows like The Bachelor to do anything that isn't reinforcing the status quo? Like, its very premise centers on heteronormative relationships. Its cast is majority white, middle class, and have conventionally attractive bodies. And it just sort of reinforces that the realm of traditional romance is exclusive for these types of identities. And most problematically, I just, I'm not sure if this type of diversity is going to really change anything. I'm not sure if this is where politics exist. Because this is where quota-checking diversity spawned by market research and audience demands doesn't do anything but harm the contestants or actors involved. It doesn't platform other identities, but instead highlights them as different, you know? Like, it highlights these people as exceptions to the norm because these norms are defined by white heteronormative middle-class spaces uh in a way it reinforces whiteness by showing difference and drawing attention to these people's you know their otherness and their identities it's the sort of paradoxical nature of representation the fact that representation can reinforce and highlight whiteness in a very complicated and difficult way
0: yeah exactly if anything representation and diversity exists to further alienate us and just to show us how much we don't fit into the white supremacy narrative like especially with people like Ariba for example in The Bachelorette like she was put in there as different to all these kind like these other white girls were just kind of like innocent and like you know a bit lovey-dovey and cute and like a bit bubbly and then Ariba was like the dragon lady like she existed there as the other as different as more aggressive and angry and less lovable and less likable and not what we want in romance like Ariba was put in there to be the opposite of ideal
1: mm, exactly it's not an expansion of voices it's a disruption
0: look when it comes to representation i think you're right it doesn't mean anything if the representation we do get on screen just reinforces like the white supremacist narrative that we're getting anyway but I don't know, even then I'm on the fence because it's just like, I want it though. (laughs) And I know everybody else wants it though. And I just like want to feel normal and I want to be accepted. But I think like when it comes to feeling accepted by these companies, like here's the thing though, these companies don't give a shit about you and your diversity. They actively have a hand in maintaining like the current power structures that deny you entry into these places in the first place. And when we do get in, they make sure that we're palatable to a racist audience. They muzzle us to make sure that, you know, we're not too black. We're not too Asian. This is like, and this is relevant to Netflix and its constant casting of biracial women as black women. It always has like a mixed race person play a black woman because of this proximity to whiteness, right? We're constantly palatable. We're constantly muzzled. We're not allowed to exist as our most intense form as a person of color. And it's just like is it worth it then because like look let's talk about let's talk about making people of color palatable all right let's talk about when we do get diversity is it really progressive if we're just made palatable to a white audience and if we're just written off and i feel like i'm going to bring this back to john Baega and kelly tran who was an asian woman in star wars she we were very excited to have her on there as like her and John Bayega, I guess, were the two kind of like ethnic representations we were all gunning for. Like they were marketed to be this like really exciting thing. It was definitely made in the promos to seem like a significant part of Star Wars. And it was supposed to be progressive. Right. And yet you go and you actually watch Star Wars and both of them are just have, like they just have the saddest, most like non-existent storyline. It's completely watered down. And the way they're treated as well is just shocking because John Boyega, literally there's promos of him holding, um, oh, what are they called? A lightsaber. Mm, <laughs> yeah,
1: f- those things. Those yeah. things.
0: Look, I will be honest. I don't know that much about Star Wars. I've watched the movies, but like not that much. I didn't grow up on them. I've just seen them. Anyway, tangential. Let's get back to it. <laughs> like John Boyega is literally marketed as holding, um, a lightsaber, he's supposed to be, like, force sensitive, you know, we're supposed to get, like, this really exciting thing of a black man wielding the force, we're supposed to get a hero, you know, and I think they start off with the new, like, trilogy, I was giving us that, like, initially, he is a really compelling, interesting character, I saw somebody describe it really well when they were talking about it, because, like, he starts off as a stormtrooper, and it's, like, it's almost like the camera was following somebody else, and then gets distracted by him, and then starts following him, it's really interesting, It feels a bit subversive, like we zero in on a side character, a nobody, and we're so excited because we feel like nobodies. People of colour watching these movies, we feel like nobodies, and we're about to see another underdog like us make it. And then he doesn't. (laughs) And then he isn't really force sensitive. We don't really see an expansion of his character. He has no character growth. And for the entire three movies, he pines after a white girl that's not into him. And, like, the tiny little bit of romance he does actually get is from Kelly Tran's character, who is also completely butchered, exists for, like, five seconds, and then becomes a background character, too. And the storyline she's given doesn't make sense. She's given a romantic arc with John Boyega, the only other person of color. Like, it's just so obviously pairing the two people of color together, because who else would love them, right? You know, we're not, we're not seen as romantic options by anybody else. And then it kind of just ends and we never talk about it. They don't even acknowledge that they, like, kissed in the next movie. It's just weird. Like, the whole thing is weird and, like, disjointed. And I know people are going to say, oh, but there were different directors, blah, 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 blah. It's, you know, that's why it's incohesive. And it's like, okay, but you can't ignore the fact that racial elements are also involved here. Like, it's not, there can be more than one issue. There can be more layers to this. Like, yes, part of the disjointed story is because behind the scenes, everything was just fucked. And, like, nobody knew what they were doing. But also, as John Boyega points out later, other characters got development. Here's a a quote from his article. He says, What I would say to Disney is do not bring out a black character, market them to be much more important in the franchise than they are, and then have them push to the side. It's not good. I'll say it straight up. Like, you guys knew what to do with Daisy Ridley, you knew what to do with Adam Driver. You knew what to do with these other people but when it came to kelly marie tran when it came to john boyega you know fuck all so what do you want me to say what they want you to say is i enjoyed being a part of it it was a great experience nah nah i'll take that deal when it is a great experience and that's exactly it right that's exactly it he's supposed to feel grateful for being lied to for being catfished into this role that he thought was going to be different. He's, like, ridden off. It's, like, absolutely shit, the storyline he gets. And then he's just, like, he's going to say, oh, it was wonderful. It was great working on this thing. I'm so lucky as a black man to be afforded, you know, the basic decency of actually hiring me for my talent, not my skin tone. Of course he's not going to say that. That's not what happened. And that's why his interview is, like, so amazing, you know, because he goes out and he says it. (laughs) And it's something that, like, I feel like a lot of people of color, especially people like me who work in the media particularly, that resonates with me as somebody who often feels muzzled. I often feel like I can't really say what I want to say without being branded as aggressive or ungrateful. You know, especially for me in particular, because I just get to go back to where you came from comments if I like even dare to criticize the state that I live in. And it's just like, this is it. I love that he's criticizing it because that's what Disney did to him. Like the only reason his role even existed was to just water down a black man's, you know, experience here because of Black Lives Matter and all that was happening, there was so much chaos in the last few years with cops shooting black people. And the black vote is becoming important. Black audience ship is becoming important. And of course, capitalists are going to capitalize off the fact that we want black representation, given the most recent movements around black lives. And it's just so opportunistic. It's so predatory. It's not genuine. None of this is genuine. It is just a marketing ploy that this company has done they've used John Boyega knowing his role knowing what how he's going to resonate with black audiences who otherwise probably wouldn't watch a lot of these shitty movies like they purposefully capitalized and preyed upon black people's needs for representation and John Boyega is a G because he actually just like called it out I don't I'm just gonna keep frothing over it because I just I just think it's great that it's he's a like it's really
1: Amazing interview, yeah. It's so... You never see... everything so sugar-coated, right? Especially in the mainstream Disney realm. It's so sort of striking to see something so genuine, honest, and doesn't really give a fuck. Right? Yeah.
0: Like, he's not afraid anymore of losing his career, which I think he was initially. Um, a few months ago, after George Floyd was murdered, he gave a very passionate speech at a Black Lives Matter rally. It was pretty amazing. It's Like, it'll radicalise you. Um. And in it, he's like, you know, I don't care if I'm going to get, like, I don't care if I'm going to lose my job. I don't care if I can't find work after this. Like, this is too important. And I think it's really incredible to watch because it's in that moment that you realize how much people of color really have to lay on the line all the time just to, like, defend our right to live. <laughs> you know, for, for John Boyega as a black man specifically, like, the fact that it was potentially damaging to his career to, like, say Black Lives Matter as a black man is ridiculous. The fact that, you know, fighting against your own subjugation and criticizing the powers that be that are responsible for the death of your people is somehow controversial is ridiculous, right? And it just like, it just keeps coming down to the fact that the only reason diversity exists in these spaces, like in Disney or in The Bachelorette or whatever, like the only reason we even get token diverse contestants or stars is like, for tokenism, it's meaningless. It's just these meaningless appearances and cameos that make the company look woke by proximity without them actually having to do anything, without them actually, have like, having to dismantle the system that prevents us from having these opportunities in the first place, right? And, like, I'm saying work by proximity again. I know I talked about it a little bit last week, but it's going to come up a lot when we talk because it's so true and it's a real experience that I have all the time. Like, I mean, even with John Boyega, like, look at his experience – as a vocal black man, and look at Disney co-opting that, using him, and then discarding him for the racist to eat alive. They just want to look woke by being associated with him. But do you think Disney gives a fuck about black lives? Do you think Disney cares that these things are happening? Of course not. Like Disney cares about profits. Disney is a ginormous corporation. It's not a person. We're not humanizing it. It's within their interests. I mean, you, there's so much about that. Like, let's talk about like Hamilton as a play. Uh, if you guys don't know about Hamilton, it is, Mitch is looking at me like I'm crazy because I'm just randomly going to this tangent, but I swear it's relevant. Um, you're going to think I'm so conspiratorial, Mitch. Oh no. He knows, we had this conversation before and he disagreed with me, but Hamilton was released on Disney Plus. Um, oh, before I get that, I should just say what Hamilton is. Hamilton is a play, it's like, it's like revisionist history, um, that kind of subverts, like, the founding fathers and, like, blackwashes it. And it's, like, it's a pretty incredible play. It's very, like, nationalistic, which I don't support, and it glosses over slavery, but as a play, it's pretty incredible. It's very witchy. It's very smart very clever. It's very well loved as well. And Disney released it, like, at the height of, like, Black Lives Matter. And I think it was really opportunistic and predatory because they actually had the rights to it for years. And they waited until, like, the height of Black Lives Matter protests and the height of, like, discontent among black Americans to release this, like, nationalistic pro-black play. And to me, that just says everything. Like, to me, that's not a coincidence. I know exactly what they were doing. They were capitalizing off the anger of black people. How crazy is that? And they were pandering to them, and they were like, oh, like, how best can we prey upon the fact that black people are currently organizing and becoming radical? Let's feed them nationalist propaganda that also panders to their black identity, Mm. right? No,
1: no no no. Do you agree I, I with me? Agree, I agree. <laughs> to be fair, when I did disagree with you, I hadn't seen it yet. And once I did watch it, as good as it is, it completely sugarcoats the traumatic history of uh just of just America, the the absolute slave-ridden bloodbath um this history contains. And I didn't realize how much of it is just sort of very legitimate liberal nonsense. Um there is almost something very problematic about having a black person play slave a slave owner yes. in the play. It just completely is is revisionist and just disregards the struggle completely.
0: Yeah, and like, look, I say this as somebody who loves Hamilton. Like, I have seen it so many times. I know like all the songs by heart, but I'm also able to like look at it critically and understand where it falls short. It's not radical. It's subversive and black nationalist, and it's amazing. And I imagine that it's really great representation. For black Americans. I totally understand why it would hold a special place in their heart, and I respect that completely. But also, we can't ignore the fact that it romanticizes like the founding fathers. Thomas Jefferson, who was a slave owner, is played by David Diggs, who is a black man. Um
1: amazing rapper, by the way. Just want to plug that.
0: Yeah, Mitch is a big fan of David Diggs. Very big fan. <laughs> but like let's just talk about the fact that Thomas Jefferson actually owned owned oh, what a horrible word. But owned a child slave who was black and he like took her to France with him when he went to France and he goes to France like in the, in the play, but it's just not talked about the fact that like he had a child slave who he took with him and impregnated like seven times. Mm. She was like essentially his like constant rape victim. So she fucked was... up. Yeah. It's like, how are we just like romanticizing these people, making them funny and likable? Like, I don't know. It's, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, It's, yeah, I guess it's liberal progressiveness where it like seems really progressive and it seems really woke because we're we're getting representation and we're validating um, like the black identity. But also we're glossing over like actual slavery, which I think is very relevant here. And also it's just nationalistic. Like why are we romanticizing the birth of America when it was birthed on the grounds of, like the American economy started with slaves, like capitalism started with the slave trade. You know, like all of these things, are linked and I know we've caught falling down the like Hamilton rabbit hole but the reason I started talking about that was the fact that Disney doesn't think Hamilton is working that's not why Disney has Hamilton like Disney didn't buy the rights of Hamilton because they love its message Disney bought the rights of Hamilton because it understood that this was a way to get to the black audience and to calm them down you know to see more likable to them so that they don't like revolt against you it was released at a very tumultuous time and that is on purpose. None of these things are accidents. And to make it, you know, to sound even more conspiratorial, except it's not conspiratorial, John Baega when his interview came out, like literally the moment it came out, Disney dropped the new Mandalorian trailer. And that was not scheduled to come out that day. Like nobody knew the trailer was going to come out that day. And it dropped like the moment his interview started to gain traction and go public because they were obviously going to spam the Star Wars hashtag.
1: Sedate the audience.
0: Man, it's censorship. It's like... It's so calculated and it's wrong to think it's not calculated because Disney, as a ginormous corporation, they know what they're doing. There's a reason that they're so big. There's a reason they're this successful. There's a reason they own literally everything. It's because they know how to maintain their place in like this food chain. Like it's pretty crazy that they dropped Mandalorian the moment John Boyega criticized them. Because that's what this, like I was writing an article at the time, like when it came out and immediately the hashtags when I was searching for like tweets and things was flooded with mandalorian content and it was so strange and it was so obvious like to me it was very obvious i mean the reason we're talking about it is just like the fact that you need to be critical of like diversity and diversity points because it doesn't mean anything like these companies are just being worked by proximity they're just using diverse contestants in order to look good are we just aiding them are we just aiding the system are we just aiding white supremacy by like partaking in these systems that's like that's the question right speaking of like by proximity. I know we're talking a lot about, I guess, tokenism in terms of, like, TV and, like, being, and, like, in TV shows and, like, real famous celebrities, but let's talk about tokenism on a personal level, too. Um, I feel like that happens to me a lot <laughs> as a vocal hijab wearing Muslim brown woman in the Australian media landscape where there aren't that many of us and as somebody who perhaps has kind of like my profile and I guess where I stand in the media has blown up a lot in the last year. Like I only graduated a few months ago, but I'm already working and I've already gotten quite a few gigs and I'm pretty well known in in certain spheres because of things that happened to me and it all blew up and stuff. But it also means I'm now starting to get tokenized and it's definitely a really strange experience. It's actually like not that different to like being fetishized in a relationship, but it's like a friend slash work version. You know, I started noticing uh, influencers or, like, personalities take an interest in me and chat to me and be like, oh, my God, such a huge fan, love your writing, and then, like, never speak to me again and also do something racist later. And it's like, you made sure the world knew that we, you and I were talking and then you stopped talking to me and you started doing racist shit. Like, it just felt like an image thing. It just felt like to be associated with me was with me was relevant to maintaining their identity as somebody progressive. And then nobody can criticize them for not being progressive because, oh, but look, look at their brown hijabi friend. Silly her, you know? Um, An influencer recently criticized critical thinkers as being too angry and defensive. And they said that they're too extreme, reactive and aggressive and responding to things. Which, you know, I just found shocking because this is somebody that I know and like have somewhat of a relationship with. But it was just like, this is tone policing. This is tone policing. You are tone policing people for being angry about, like, the state and, like, racism and just, like, you know, the shit that we have to do with every single day. And this is what I mean with, like, liberal feminism and being worked by proximity, where it's just, like, these movements that mean nothing because they don't actually seek to dismantle anything. They don't actually seek to genuinely uplift the oppressed. It's just about imagery. It's just about symbols of progression. For being, like, with that person and being worked by proximity, it's like, oh, I'm going to be friends with this really worked person and make sure that every now and then I mention them. But also I'm gonna now go and do really problematic shit and say really problematic shit and really dismissive shit about things that that person cares about. But I can get away with it because look at all these like brown friends I have. You know, it's just, I feel like it's becoming really pervasive in society. Like just like using the image of people of color to be woke, And we don't really have a say in this, do we? Because like, can I fight that? Can I fight that as somebody who has a small following and who is immediately going to be branded as, like, the angry woman of colour. Like, if I call out white people for using me for wokeness, I am just ruining another white friendship with politics. I'm just another angry brown girl who doesn't know when to stop. And how do I balance my works, like, my work life and my friendships like that? Because I don't want to be demonised, but I also don't want to be tokenized, And I don't really get to choose between them. Like, do I risk getting called out like that, but like standing up for myself and standing up for what's right? Or no, where is the limit in how much anger I'm allowed to show towards the state before I'm no longer palatable to people that use me for wokeness? Now I'm angry and reactionary. Like why do white people even get to choose that limit? Is it because at the end of the day, they benefit? So like me criticizing the state is all well and good while it makes them look good until it actually challenges their own status in society. And now it's problematic. This kind of tokenism is just... So pervasive in like every element of my life and in every element of society, and it is for like every person of color from like the TV that you watch to the workplaces that you're in to the friendships that you have to the people you date. We're constantly being tokenized and used for like woke image purposes all the time. Like this workness by proximity again, shout out to Lauren for coining the term that I didn't make it up. This is Lauren's term. Um, but this whole like Work by proximity and like diversity token—they like they're so linked. They come hand in hand because with tokenism comes a desire to look work by proximity. Like that is why we have tokenism diversity. The whole reason we have token diversity is to look like we are fighting racism or you know standing up for people of color without actually doing anything meaningful or without actually dismantling the system. hurts them and oppresses them without actually making our spaces less hostile for them we don't change with tokenistic diversity we don't change anything except the fact that we just throw in a poc into the room and then you know use them and then let them find them for themselves
1: yeah exactly i feel like throughout the podcast we've maybe spoken with some apprehension because a lot of the time this can sound a lot like a conservative argument when we're sort of Uh, trying to criticize diversity or representation from the right perspective from a far right perspective is that you know this stuff is disingenuous and is merely to appeal to snowflakes and actually we like that these spaces are exclusive and are uh, predominantly white certain types of identities certain types of sexuality and we want to keep these spaces like this however when we come we come from a far left perspective where we're saying actually this representation isn't enough this isn't satisfactory this is the product of a capitalist system that is trying to pander to sort of uncritical liberal nonsense right
0: yeah and i just i do want to put a disclaimer here that like we're not criticizing people who go on reality tv and we're definitely not criticizing you for watching reality tv or enjoying it and you're absolutely entitled to enjoy any kind of you know diversity that you want to like I know that I really really value seeing a person that looks like me on tv like I binged Degrassi High (laughs) I binged it when I found out that there's a hijabi girl in it like literally for that reason and only that reason although I will say Degrassi High does a Muslim hijabi character really well and you guys should watch it <laughs> I was actually hooked but that's beside the point the point is you're not like a bad feminist or like a racist for wanting to enjoy that content and wanting to engage with it and w- for wanting a woman of color as a bachelorette there's nothing wrong with wanting that and there's nothing even wrong with fighting that but the issue here is like don't expend all your energy there don't let that be the hill that you die on because while that's gonna make you feel better and it's going to be better for our self-esteem it's not actually going to dismantle racism and it's not actually going to change the system so just like know what you're going like, to exhaust you i feel like don't like i am pro having people of color on sets and stuff with some critical apprehension but i'm mostly mostly pro it if it can be done well but also i'm not going to die fighting on this hill because i know at the end of the day this isn't what's going to liberate us this isn't, this isn't actually where politics are at
1: well it's the truth of it is, is that it's actually profitable for companies to be diverse, to appeal to a large uh, multifaceted audience, because mm-hmm. it's more, you know, seats in cinemas, it's more people paying for TV shows, music, etc. So the thing is, just because there is representation doesn't mean that these corporations are our friends, that this is entirely positive. And it's important to be critical, because often they do pander, often the uh the actors that play these diverse roles are the sacrifices of representation they are just left to fend for themselves the the production has used them exploited them and left them to uh, deal with the consequences of the racist mass of people that is uh going to send them death threats going to criticize their roles and act like they had any real impact on the way that they were represented
0: yeah, because, like, that's the thing that we need to remember is, like, every time we get to see a person of color on TV, we get to see them on TV at the sacrifice of, like, their own bubble. Like, that person who is not on TV definitely gets death threats. They definitely get racist hate mail. They definitely are dehumanized on a level that most of us don't understand because we're not in the public eye. And we just need to be, I think, just critical, like... The point of this podcast episode is not to tell you that representation is bad, or that you can't like it, or that we don't want it. The point is to be be critical of it every time you get it, even when you're excited about it. Like even when we're excited to get John Boyega, because I was very excited to have him in Star Wars. Even though I'm excited about it and I love the fact that he was in it, I can still be critical of how he was used and how he was exploited and how he was represented. How he was represented, (laughs) and what that means for me and how much I'm willing to sacrifice like and particularly for any white listeners here who obviously don't have the same issues with representation that people of color have when you I know a lot of you are probably really pro having a woman of color as the bachelor and while I'm really glad that you want to see us on tv maybe also be critical of like do you think about the consequences on the woman of color who is going to be the bachelorette or the bat or on the bachelor like when you're gunning to have a first nations woman as the bachelorette does it occur to you that you're also going to be subjecting her to a lot of abuse by putting her in that situation? Like, do you think about that? I'm not saying let that stop you, but I'm saying think about it and think about ways we're going to protect these people, because I will be fine and happy with representation the day that we have a system that is able to protect them from the racist onslaught that comes with being a person of color on TV. Like, this is for the white followers. Like, if you guys want a woman of color is about to write like we do, do something to protect us from criticism. Because maybe that's why so many of us don't apply. I know I certainly would never apply to be on literally any reality TV show because I know the abuse that I'm going to get for that. And it's just not worth it.
1: Sweet. Thanks for listening. I feel like this is a great time to talk about our sponsors for the episode, which is you, our listeners. We're still figuring things out, and we're not really sure how to proceed with monetization yet. And ideally, we'd like to avoid being slaves to the capitalist machine.
0: So, if you thought our discussion today was interesting, thought-provoking, and something you learned from, please consider donating to our PayPal link, paypal.me forward slash to support future episodes. The PayPal link is in my Instagram bio, so check it out over there at Saliha Official, and give me a follow if you liked today's episode. Also, if you have any comments or suggestions or want to add to the discussion, you can email us at here's a thing podcast at gmail.com and please include your name, pronouns, and any other important info. We'll also be discussing all this stuff in our Facebook group, Here's a thing though podcast. Uh, it's also in my Instagram bio, so you can find it over there. And of course, remember to follow and subscribe, it really helps the podcast get out there.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye.